When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Piccolo podcast production. All right, welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I am Menes. I am joined by Paul Dennett. We've just recorded our first Super Over show. Paul, I'm happy with the way it went. Yeah, it was fun. Um, it's it's fun talking about the IPL in some detail. It's it's it's, it's cool. Yes. Um, I was surprised. So um, um, we're going to catch up on a bit, a bit of cricket news domestically, quite a bit happening in the last week. But, um, you know, there's actually been a bit of cricket going on. Uh, usually when the IPL is on, it's a bit of just that, nothing else. But uh, Bangladesh and Ireland played that test match. So I guess Josh Little, the Ireland bowler, who's the first ever Irish player in the IPL, must have missed that test match for an opportunity in the IPL. Um and there's also the Fairbreak International Women's Tournament that has about 28 uh, players from 28 different countries playing in the uh, T20 tournament. Um, so quite a bit going on. Have you been watching much? Um, I've been watching a lot of the IPL and um, I, I actually, that Bangladesh Island game passed me by, which annoys me because it's the sort of game I would be interested in watching. I don't know that... I don't know why they're scheduling it at the same time as the IPL. I think that's got to stop. And I thought it, it had okay. stopped. Um, it's all right. It was free on YouTube. I was watching. No, it. no, I'm not saying it wasn't good, but I'm just saying um, Josh Little shouldn't have to make that choice. Um, he should be free to be doing to be doing both. So they they they've got to just accept it. They've got to say right, no. When the IPL is on, um, there's nothing else on, and it's ridiculous to be scheduling um, matches that are on at the same time as it. I, I think. Yeah, well, Bangladesh won that test match. Ireland put up a good fight. They're a good team. Um, Lorcan Murphy, I think was his name, scored um, the second test century for Ireland. And it was actually quite interesting. I started off the summer commentating a lot of the, on those Irish plays at Coogee Oval, not far from my, where I live. And there they were all um, wearing the, the baggy greens, playing in a test match. But on the domestic front, Paul, I mean, we'll, we'll start, I guess, with the men's news. Um, but the first thing was uh, they... Well, they negotiated new contracts. So uh, the memorandum of understanding, which basically just decides how the money is divided up between the players and uh, Cricket Australia, they went through that. Now, uh, in 2017, listeners to this podcast will remember it got very heated and it got very ugly and there was a time where the, the players were off contract. Well, you have to say, Paul, that uh, aside from just the, the numbers, Todd Greenberg, head of the ACA, and Nick Hockley, Cricket Australia, did a good job keeping it out of the papers and getting it done. Absolutely, yeah. And the fact that it's um, it's slipped in under the radar as compared to, I mean, it was at the point last time where there was even talk of the Ashes, the 2017-18 Ashes being under jeopardy. That's how that's how um, bad things have got to. So it's wonderful Um uh, yeah, sometimes you want things to be a bit boring, and this is a good one to be um, a little bit on the on the boring side. Yeah, so I guess the, the big differences and the I guess some of the really big the great things about this new deal are uh, the increase to women's pay. So women's players will now 
um, share in $133 million. That's increased from $80 million. And the minimum uh, um, and average CA women's contracts will increase by 25%. Um, the, the w, now, this is something you and I have been talking about. The WBBL has got to be careful not to fall behind. Well, they've doubled the salary cap to almost three-quarters of a million dollar every year. Um, so I think that's a really good sign for the WBBL. Definitely. And, yeah, they should fight the, fight the WPL the whole way. And it's in, it's in both leagues' best interest for that. So it's, um, it's very heartening to see that they are not taking a backward step and an average women's player now, if they play in the WNCL and the WBBL, can earn around one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Um, but if you're just playing um, in the WNCL, you can um, you can you can earn a really good wage of almost one hundred thousand dollars a year. So it's you know it's it's the it's the highest paid women's team sport in Australia now. So it's it's a phenomenal achievement by Cricket Australia. Yeah, and obviously the the players at the upper end who are playing just more than that when you factor in what they could get outside of Australia as well in the uh, the WPL and in the, in the 100, um, there will certainly be players who are going to start to be earning um, well in excess of a million dollars. Absolutely. Fantastic. And uh, we, we keep on saying it, but from where it was 10 years ago, um, the, the change is amazing and thoroughly welcome and it shows what you get when you invest in, um, you, you know, when you invest in women's sport. Yeah, you're right. The, those the the top players, um, Australian women's players, you can can earn in seven figures. And then in the men's side of the BBL, the um, salary cap has increased from two million to three million. I think it was just under two million. It's now gone to three million. Um, so that's quite a significant increase um, to try and keep pace with global wages. And also, um, the the the, the the average wage is almost doubled for a BBL player now. So uh, they're really conscious that a, a lot of the leagues around the world are posing a significant threat. Um, so that's really good. That two to $3 million will certainly help uh, bridge the gap. Yeah. And I mean, not only does the big bash need to take into account all those other leagues that we, we've talked about at length, the Bangladesh league, the new South African league, there's the, the Dubai T10 and, and and whatever else you know, long gone is the. Um, it wasn't that long ago when it was comfortably the number two league in the world, but it's also still got to fight that the fact that for a long time the heart of the summer for most Australian fans wasn't the Test matches; it was the fifty over stuff and the the World Series Cup and the and all of those matches that have now been totally marginalised. And the Big Bash needs to step up and take their place because otherwise you're just going to lose a percentage of fans to the game forever. So it is good that they are. Uh, increasing the revenues. I'd like to see them increase it more, uh, but, you know, that's not bad. And also in a, in a move, I think, to make sure players don't go overseas, they're increasing the number of men's contracted players to between 20 and 24 every year because of the three formats from it was 17 to 20, but it's now increased quite a bit. So I sort of, you know, if you look at the totality of this MOU, um, you know, the good things are the increased um, emphasis on the Big Bash, the um, increased money into women's cricket. I just wonder what the negatives are. And, you know, I've heard whispers there's a little bit less money going to the state associations now. Um, and I think you'd imagine the money has to come from somewhere. But all in all, um, 
there doesn't seem to be any real um, gripes with this MOU, which is a fantastic result. Yeah. Now, does this um, things like grassroots funding that's separate to all this, isn't it? Or is that is that wrapped up in this yeah, as well? No, it's wrapped up in this. That's the issue. So, um, you know, Cricket New South Wales have a stated goal at the moment to double the number of five year old to 12 year olds playing cricket i think it is over the next few years they want to double the participation rate and they're investing significant significant money in that and you know i think the the challenge for state associations around the country now is their budgets were tightened a bit during covid i don't think they've um gone back to the pre-covid levels and uh you know so they have to work out where to allocate the funds and um I mean, that's obviously like any other business or any other association, but, you know, I guess that, that would be, you know, the money for the, the big bash you would think has probably come from that sort of pool. Yeah. And um, I've had a little bit of firsthand experience of the grassroots in recent times with um, my daughter getting into cricket. Totally not, I mean, not that I've been trying to get, I suppose she's just seen that I watch 700 hours a week and talk about nothing else. So, Eventually, it was bound to happen, but I didn't set out to um, to make that happen. But do you keep her last... stats? Say that again, sorry. Do you keep her stats? <laughs> I just on a blackboard. No, no. Um, <laughs> but um, she took part in a uh, cricket New South Wales thing where they had uh, a really good coach come out to her school and for four or five weeks with a group of girls, whoever was interested, um, to to do cricket skills. Um, um, for those four or five weeks. And it was a really good program. And there's all these girls playing it, uh, loving it. And my daughter's um, ability to catch everything just went skyrocketing in the space of a few weeks. She went from not being able to catch to being able to catch. Um, and it was, it was really good. And you look at that and think that's, that's the key to the whole future because um, it's a very competitive marketplace and that, you know, it's a, a game with high barriers to entry in some ways. And every time I pass the cricket grounds and I see people doing personal training in the cricket nets and, you know, I'd be the one in trouble if I if I kicked them out, kind of thing. Um, you know, I worry for the future sometimes. So it was, it's really good to see money well spent and a program that really works. So um, hopefully, there's plenty more. You know, we want money for everything, but hopefully, there's plenty more for the grassroots. Well, um, I mean, this is a good segue. You know, cricket New South Wales. I went to the recent awards night, and it was a bit of a solemn affair. After it was only the second time they've gone through a whole first class season without winning. Um, winning a match it was a bit like a wake or something but um uh, the, the men's contracted player list was announced and a third of those players are from new south wales which shows that their grassroots is still the major f- feeder to australian cricket um so it's a movie so after the mou so you know they agreed on the money and then they worked out which players got a contract so matt wade came off contract uh, Matt Renshaw didn't get a contract. Pete Hanscom didn't get a contract. And Matt Kuhneman uh, didn't get contracts. Um, they were players that were contracted throughout the year. Um, are you surprised at any of those not getting a contract? No, because when you've got the, the limited numbers, then they get squeezed out. I mean, Wade obviously is probably just about finished at the international level, if not completely finished, although I think he probably would still have a bit to offer. But it makes sense that he goes... Kuhneman, um, you know, in an ideal world, I'd have said they should have just said, listen, um, we've talked about it before, but you're going to go and live in India and play in the Ranji Trophy for the next three years and um, ready for the next time we tour there. Um, but, yeah, no, that um, yeah, given that, that they don't have um, a larger pool of contracted players and that's 
then it makes sense that those players have missed out. Um, it is a bit unlucky for, for, for those guys. And I was hearing again, um, Jared Waitley talking to Pete Lawler from the Australian about how this is potentially a pointer to who's going to be in the uh, in the ascendancy for a, a position in the in the in the first test or in the World Test Championship uh, final, especially if, if at some point in the series Warner isn't involved. Yeah, absolutely. The other player to miss out was Mitchell Swepson. Um, not a big surprise considering he was overlooked for the Ashes. All right, so then the new contracted players. Well, Lance Morris got a contract. Uh, Michael Nisa got a contract, which is interesting because I think, you know, he's bowled very well in English conditions in the past. So I think you can expect him to to go on the Ashes too. I think he was on the 2019 tour. So, yep. um, yeah, uh, Joe Richardson got a contract. And although... Um, he hasn't played a lot for Australia. When fit, uh, he is clearly of international quality. So I'm glad they've given him a contract. And then this is the surprise. Marcus Harris got a contract. Now, I heard George Bailey did a press conference after this announcement, and he pretty much indicated that Harris is going to England um, as the spare opener. And if, if something happens to Warner or Kawaja, it, it'll probably be Harris going in there. Bailey said that uh, Harris has been the spare batter for a while, that uh, Renshaw and Hanscom were preferred in, in conditions in India because they're, but uh, Harris comes back into that spot. And, uh, he, you know, Harris plays county cricket. He scored 100 over the weekend. Um, so uh, that's, that's uh, I know you you're not a big fan of Harris, are you? I wouldn't go that far. I, I, th- I sort of feel like with Harris, Hanscom, Bancroft and Renshaw, that all four of them, they're not out of place at Test Cricket, but I don't foresee them coming in and dominating in, in Test Cricket. I think that they're kind of, um, they're on the cusp, on the threshold. So they don't excite me as potential Test players. So if, you know, given the choice between those four and Warner, I'd also I'd rather stay with Warner almost. Um they're all averaging right, you know, 38, 39. They've had some good seasons, some not so good seasons. I just think they're very, very solid players, but not in the top echelon. Um, and that's not meant to be um, un- unfair on them. It's just it's just the way that it is. So if Harris comes into the, uh, into the Ashes, what am I expecting he's going to do? I'm expecting he's going to struggle because uh, left-handed opening batters do struggle in England. I mean, if you were to say that he was going to play a decent amount of matches in the series um, and you had to guess what he's going to average in, I'd be guessing he's probably going to average in the twenties or the thirties. Yeah. I I do give some stock to the, the run scoring ability that Harris has developed in the last two years. I think especially that experience in England playing a lot of innings, I, I think he's really learned the art of scoring runs and, I think we still might see quite a bit from him at international level. And I think he still could be a really good test opener. He's a friend of the show. You and I interviewed him on Cricket Unfiltered a couple of years ago during the pandemic. So I'd love to see him come in there and score a few test hundreds. Um, So that's the contract list. No other surprises um, really in that list. Josh Inglis is firmed as the spare wicket keeper. Ashton Agar retained his contract. Um, but all in all, a pretty good contract list. And I guess with that extra few spots, it means they're going to be able to squeeze most of the the favourites in there. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point about around Harris. Just looking at his recent record, he had that stint in England in 2019, played seven matches, only averaged 34. Not disgraceful, but not enormous. But then in 2021, he um, had eight matches and averaged 55. So that's very, very good. 
Went back the next year, nine matches and averaged 43. Not bad. Um, better than not bad. And then he's um, just had that one, um, you know, he's averaging 104 after one match so far. So, um, look, if he, if he can do a, a, a bit what Labuschagne did ahead of 2019 when Labuschagne got all those runs for Glamorgan, then, you know, I'll be, I'll be convinced and I'll be happy for him to be uh, happy for him to be in the side. George um, Bailey made some pointed comments about David Warner and he, he basically said that, you know, Warner really has to earn his spot in the test side now and uh, nothing, you know, he said that he's at the mercy of selection like anyone else, which basically is not the same language we've got in the similar situations in the past. Like, you know, they were backing Finch into the 2020 World Cup. Like, wouldn't have mattered. They were like, he's going to play. Whereas I think they've maybe learnt the error of their ways. And, um, you know, Warner might not make it to the Ashes now. He might not even make it to the World Test Championship final. Feels like he will make it to the World Test Championship final. Well, in that conversation... In that conversation, the big talking point was, um, is it the fact that England have Stuart Broad? And that's the big difference, that obviously Ward, you know, Warner is exposed by Broad. So, you know, Warner might play in the World Test Championship final, but simply because Broad plays for England, he's dropped, even if he scores 100. I think if he got 100, that it would be hard to drop him. But, you know, if he, if he, if he didn't get 100, if he just then, – then I think that's probably how they're looking to go. And it will depend on what Harris does or who or others or Bancroft or whomever does in, in the lead up to it. But as much as I think that, yeah, if, if, if Stuart Broad's running into bowl and David Warner's opening up and it's a green morning and a overcast morning, I'll be very uh, pessimistic about how Warner's going to go. I'd feel just as pessimistic about how Marcus Harris is going to go, if I'm being honest. Okay. Hey, uh, what about um, one player that... Um, uh, that didn't get a contract, and I suppose it wasn't a surprise, but he gets talked up a bit, and he's got a pretty good record, averaging 40-odd with the bat and 29 with the ball is Aaron Hardy. Do you reckon he was close to getting a contract? I don't think he was close to getting a contract, but it's a beautiful segue because I wanted to talk about some performances um, by some Australian players recently. And at the moment, Australia A are in New Zealand um, playing New Zealand Day with the Dukes ball in preparation for the... Um, the Ashes and Aaron Hardy made a hundred. Um, Aaron Hardy made 115 in the first innings out of 253. Um, so he's a player to watch. Matt Renshaw made a hundred in in the first match. Spencer John actually, and Matt Renshaw made a hundred in the second match as well. I'm just seeing today. So Renshaw back to back tons. Hardy a ton. Spencer Johnson four wickets. So some good performances. Not surprised Hardy didn't get a con- contract, but surprised. Um, yeah, he's doing well. Um, in the, New Zealand, I beat Australia in the first game, but it was a pretty generous declaration by the Aussies that allowed New Zealand to win, although they batted well. So that's going on. Also, <coughs> some Australians over in England. I mentioned Harris scored 100. Uh, Sean Abbott took five wickets. Um, so, yeah, quite a bit of action for the Aussies. And, you know, I think the Aussies are looking really good for the Ashes. Um, it's going to be fascinating. I can't wait. I can't wait for the Ashes. It's hard to... It's hard to get my head around uh, all the different formats and everything going on, but I'm really looking forward to it. One other thing, just before I forget, um, while we're talking kind of administrative things, I really like the interview that Mike Baird or the quote from Mike Baird, the new chairman of Cricket Australia, how he sort of said he wanted to take on AFL as the sort of country's premier sport. And um, I, I don't, I just, I, I just liked hearing that. I just think that's a good thing um, and nothing against AFL. And the two aren't necessarily all that much in um 
uh, in competition because they're in different seasons and whatever else. And in many ways, there's synergies between them in terms of the sharing of grounds and whatever else. But um, I like that level of ambition. Yes, he was at the Cricket New South Wales Awards dinner and he he said some nice words. Um, he, he He's part of Manly Cricket Club. He seems to really um, love cricket. So hopefully he does a good job chairing Cricket Australia. John Knox, the head of Cricket New South Wales, was there and was saying all sorts of stuff about how it was unacceptable that New South Wales didn't win any games. Um, anyway, and then Greg Shepard pushed back a bit in a speech. He was... And then Steve Wall came up and he was like, the players are trying. So it was a weird atmosphere. Very strange. Mm. Um, but I don't think just, I don't think saying players losing games, calling it unacceptable is the right language. I think that's the sort of thinking that got Australia into sandpaper gate. Like unacceptable is going out on the piss and getting in trouble. Trying your best and losing a cricket game is not unacceptable. Yeah, I suppose it depends on how the context, in the, in the sense mm. of if you say it in the abstract, it's unacceptable for New South Wales, the premier cricketing state, and uh, to go through a season without winning a first-class game. That's true. But if you're sort of saying to the players specifically, then, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, last bit of cricket news. A bit been happening in Australian cricket and very exciting news because another friend of the show, Phoebe Litchfield, is on a, in a tear. So, um, you know, there's no doubt her appearance on Cricket Unfiltered has done wonders for her uh, career because she's uh, earned a contract. So she's a contracted women's cricketer now and she's on the Ashes tour. So we'll go through the contracts first. Um, I, I think, look, all the, the, the main things are Phoebe Litchfield got a contract for the first time. Uh, Kim Garth, the former Irish international, got a contract. But then it's all the, the big names that you'd expect. Um, interestingly, um, Nicola Carey uh, actually didn't accept a contract. She said she didn't want to go on the Australia A tour and she wanted to stay in Tasmania and prepare for next season. So said no to a contract. Still wants to play for Australia, but you don't often hear that. Mm. And, and look, Indeed. could be opportunities to play in T20 leagues. There's, uh, you know, we spoke about it before in men's cricket. It's just, just as big a possibility in women's cricket now. Uh, but then the Ashes squad was announced, the Australian women's Ashes squad. So Meg Lanning leading the squad, vice-captain Elisa Healy. Then you've got Darcy Brown, Ash Gardner, Kim Garth, the Irish international, former Irish international, Grace Harris, Jess Jonathan, Alana King, Phoebe Litchfield, Talia McGrath, Beth Mooney, Elise Perry, Megan Shute, Annabelle Sutherland, and Georgia Wareham. That's a very strong squad. Certainly is. And the Ashes themselves... Uh, there's a five-day test that kicks them off uh, in Nottingham. So it starts on June the 22nd. Then there are three uh, T20s, Birmingham, and then one at the Oval, one at Lords, and then three ODIs, Bristol, Southampton, and Taunton. So it's the multi-series format. And Australia would be uh, very, very long odds on favourites to win. Yeah, so that's really exciting news. Um well, well, that's that's really it for the cricket news, uh, Paul. I've got a can't let it go to, to wrap this up. Um, love a good stat. Well, in the last, well, it was, I think it was a week and a half ago now, we had the highest international T20 run chase ever. The West Indies batted first, made, what, I think 258, and then South Africa ran it down. Oh, and that was an incredible. They scored 259. It was just a phenomenal win by South Africa. And apparently it was um, echoes of the 434 game that in the dressing room, I think there was a few players in there joking around. Oh, I think the West Indies are 10 short 
Well, it turned out they were because I think South Africa won with <laughs> an over despair. Yeah, I mean, it would have been a great game to watch. I watched every ball of that 434 game in 2006. Um, <laughs> you know, it is a bit funny how you could sort of, it plays into the narrative of South African South Africa winning the things that don't matter, but they went on and on about that 434 game. But in the midst of that, Australia won the 99, 2003, and 2007 World Cups. Um, so um, good reminder. Good on them. Um, but yeah, jeez, um, uh, what a. I mean, it, it's an incredible score, though. In, in for, What's that? 500 well, plus runs in 40 overs. Yeah, the first ever 500 plus. Um, T20 International or any T20 game. So quite phenomenal stuff. Well, Paul, thanks for joining me. Um, we've we've smashed it out. We'll be back next week for a super over. Um, but, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Betters. Thanks, everyone. See you later. Don't forget to rate and review the show on your favourite podcast app. Leave a review for the show. Uh, thanks, Martin Lawrence. Uh, it's Lorcan Tucker, not Lorcan Murphy. Um, but, yeah, we'll be back next week. Bye-bye. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.